Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony. With me in the studio today, I have a special guest, Carol Sickle. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Etienne, for having me. It's nice to have you here. Now, for those who have listened to By the Word of Their Testimony, you know what it's about. But for those who may be tuning in for the first time, I'd like to just share with you a Bible text that the program is based on. And it comes from Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Where we read, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Carol, it's good to have you in your studio today. I look forward to hearing your testimony about the, what the Lord has done in your life. So perhaps you can just start telling us what you currently do. What keeps you busy nowadays? Okay. Um I'm I have a massage business, a part-time massage business okay. at home. And I also work with our pastor in our church. Mm. Um, I'm personal ministries uh, leader and also superintendent, uh, Sabbath school superintendent leader in our church. Well, that will keep you very busy. That doesn't sound like it's only uh, one or two hours a week. It sounds like it's quite a few hours. It is quite a few hours. Um, I tend to do a lot of the um, administration work as well. As well. Well. Yes. So um, we do lots of Bible studies and things like that. I also uh, run a 12-step Christ-based program that um, I don't know if you're familiar with, Michelle and Graham Hood. Yes, yes, we are. Yeah, Recovery Road, yes. So I do that as well. We uh, hear some of their programs here as well, Recovery Road. Okay, so that's basically Mm. in a nutshell. I've I've also just um, acquired, by God's grace, a DVD duplicating machine. Oh. And so I'm trying to get some a DVD ministry going as well. Okay. So when you're saying part-time massage business, it sounds like it has to be part-time because you're so busy with the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is fascinating. But obviously, you know, you're doing a lot for the Lord now, but that probably wasn't always the case in your life. Perhaps we can go back to where it all started. Now, I understand you're a fellow countryman. I am. Awesome. I am. Born in the same city that I was born in. That's right, Cape yeah. Town. Yes, yeah. in South Africa. What a beautiful place. Well, perhaps you can take your life story and start it there and just start filling in the, the gaps between that and to where you find yourself now. Okay. Well, I was born into a very large, um, a very blessed Catholic family mm. um, in Cape Town, South Africa, as we just mentioned. And uh, I have eight sisters and four brothers. And it's just a wonderful. It's just wonderful to be in a big family like yes, that. Yes, yeah, that's a big family. And we've been exceptionally blessed because we're all still alive and doing well by God's grace mm. today. Um, I'm number seven. That's in, a in, great number, number seven. <laughs> <laughs> in the group, so I always think I always regard myself as the last of the first generation because they were too old for me. They were like older than me. Yes, and. 
there's five years difference between my last sister and I. So yeah. I was too young to be with the older ones. And I'm the beginning of the second generation. And right. there's a five-year gap with my sister there. So I felt that I was always too old to be with the younger ones. So it's kind of an in-between child and a bit of a loner, yes. if you like. Yeah, I can understand so. you. The five-year age difference is quite a bit, you know, going up the tree and then, of course, going down the tree. It's another five years. It's It is. Yeah. It is. I have two brothers that are older than me. But, of course, they were off doing their own thing. Sure. And, uh, yeah. Mm. So uh, with that age gap and so many siblings, uh, I guess some of the responsibility for caring for them would have fallen on you as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was a child. I, this is how I see myself. I was, mm. I was, sorry, not a child. I was a mother at the age of eight. Wow. Um, because I was given the responsibilities of making uh, the formula bottles. Mm. Changing nappies and t- and caring for my siblings, uh, and I remember at the age of four, thirteen and fourteen having the responsibility. Um, every Friday night, I had to bathe. There were three or four of them. Yes. And I remember, and this is not a very nice thing to say, but I remember that they used to cry because I was so frustrated that I couldn't go and visit my friends until mm. I'd got that chore out of the way so I had to I really scrubbed them till they were because mum would come and inspect them after I'd finished wow. you see. Okay. <laughs> and they weren't very very delighted with the way I treated them. I understand. Sure. So that's a lot of responsibility. So before you could go and have fun with your friends you had all these chores at home to do. That's right. That's so, right. Okay. That would have taught a lot of personal responsibility I guess, at a young age. It has. I think that is what has characterized us in mm. a lot of ways. Having to live in a, a room with all the girls, you, you had to um, mm. receive social skills to a great degree. You had to, to endure a lot of things. And um, you became responsible at a very young age. Yeah. Right, sure. So are you still in touch with all your, your siblings? Oh, yes, yes. We, we, mum was, three years ago, mum was 90, and we all went on a cruise with her. Wow. We were, we were quite anxious because we'd never all been in one place at the same time for mm. a long period of time. But it, it was a wonderful time. It would it have been a really great family experience. Time. Absolutely, yeah. yes. So what is the spread and age between the oldest and the youngest? Is there... So yeah, 73 and 40, 46, 48. Oh, 48. So it's about yeah. 25 years from the oldest to the youngest. Yes. Okay, wow. And they're all still alive. Well, praise, praise the Lord. Absolutely. Praise the Lord, yes. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, you, you live in Cape Town. You grew up there. You said you were raised in a Catholic home. Yes. Were you a active Catholic uh, Christian? Very much so. Hmm. Um, we went to church every every Sunday. Hmm. Um, my dad would make sure that we got up and got ready and went to church wow. every Sunday, even though he didn't. Oh, he didn't. Okay. He didn't. Um, when my parents got married, uh, mum was came from an Anglican background. Hmm. And when my parents got married, um, they were told that they needed to rear the kids in a Catholic home. And so mum eventually became, she took lessons and became Catholic, if you like. Okay. And um, then dad made sure that we went hmm. every Sunday. Wow, okay. So you participated in the Catholic Church and, and grew up in that. Um, and your um, 
I guess, did you at that time feel that you had like a relationship with God as a, as a young person? Or was it quite different? The God that we knew, or I knew back mm. then, was a very fearful God. Okay. Um, it was a God that would, you know, pour down brimstone and sulfur upon you if you did anything wrong. That's the God we knew. That's the God that we we were taught about. Mm. Um, this is probably amusing, but I remember that when there would be lightning and thunder. Yes. Mum would, uh, mum would say that God was really angry. I mean, I, you know, she must have been so frustrated mm. with trying to keep all of us in line that she used God as a weapon, if you like, in mm-hmm. a way. She would say that that thunder and light was God was really angry with us because we were not behaving in accordance with his will. So when there was lightning and thunder as a child, I'd go and sit in the hallway because there was no windows there. Because I was afraid that he was going to strike me dead. <laughs> oh, was it really? Wow. And then look, knowing Cape Town, they don't get lightning and thunder all that often. You get it occasionally, but it's not a regular occurrence like no, other parts of no. the world, is it? No, thank yeah. goodness. Others have been that hallway permanently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it was a way of saying you were not, not quite that bad. And then happened every now and then. <laughs> Wow, okay. So so your understanding of God and what he was like was quite different growing up as a child. Yes, mm. yes. I think um, for me, my father being my father, mm. now I understand that he had a lot of responsibility sure. and he did the best that he could with what he knew how. Mm. Mm. But I always felt that there was some qualities lacking in my dad as a right. father. I've always, I've always, in, as little as I was, I just knew it. Mm. And um, I think when I came to know my heavenly father, oh, man, what a rejoicing that was. Because that was, I just realized that this father that I've searched for all my life, or the qualities in the father that I've searched Looking for all for, my life, yes. came, came through when I started having a relationship with my heavenly father. Mm. And that is when I realized what was missing in my life. Right. So um, you obviously now live in Australia, but while you were in South Africa, did you then discover these qualities that you were looking for from a fatherly perspective? Was it in South Africa where this happened or did it happen elsewhere? I think I saw it in my father's brother. Okay. Some of the qualities, not all of it, but some Mm. of it. And because there was such a big gap between my sisters, my cousin and I were the same age and we became very close. So I hung out at their house a lot. Right. And, you know, just admired some of these qualities that was in her dad. Mm. But it was after I came to Australia and met the Lord and had a relationship with him that I discovered that this is the father I've been searching for all my life. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So you're in South Africa. Did you get married in South Africa? I did. I did. Yes, my husband and I um, got married in South Africa, and we came over to Australia in 1985. Okay. More than 30 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. And I had we had a son, uh, Andrew, who was age 12 at the time, and Alison age 9. And so we still continued to go to church Hmm. over in Australia. Okay. The Catholic Church, and then and the kids attend, attended Catholic school um, until, unfortunately, we got divorced, mm. and then that stopped. 
and we just all stopped, stopped going. Right. Yes. So was were you in Sydney at the time? Did you migrate to Sydney from I Cape did. Town? I mm, did. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right. So that would have been a very difficult um, time in your life. You're in a in a new country, so to speak. Yes. And then, of course, separation, um, and then that will be tough in itself. And then on top of that, of course, you've got children as well that you're responsible for. And then the disconnection from the church on top of that. So yes. I, I imagine it would be a very stressful period for you to go through. Yeah. Well, you know, not having known what it's all about, um, it's just a new experience for you. You know, right, not having okay. been in the wilderness before, as I call it. Well, yes. Yes. Um, it's it's a new experience for you, mm. and so it was it was an experience that we went through. Um, yeah, you obviously survived because you're here and you're looking uh, healthy and fit. Praise the Lord! <laughs> yeah. Praise the Lord, Etienne. <laughs> so, what happened subsequent to that? Well, um, when when that happened, um, my, my the children obviously grew up and they left home. Mm. And then I moved, we lived on the northern beaches for 14 years, I think it was. And then from there, I moved to the eastern suburbs. Okay. And it was that during that time in the eastern suburbs that I, well, I, I remember this was, uh, I was going, taking the dog for a walk one day down to Manly Dam. Mm. And not, even, not having a relationship with the Lord that I have today. Mm. I did pray and I did speak to him and I was walking the dog and I said to him, Lord, I've just finished this one job that I had. Um, what is it that you've got planned for me? And I came back and um, my husband had told me that my sister had rung me from Northern Territory mm. and she had asked for me to return the call, which I did. And it was her her employee in Northern Territory that wanted me to manage the first internet cafe in King's Cross. Wow. And I you know, I thought, Okay, Lord, I've just prayed this prayer on the on this walk this morning. This mm. must be the answer to prayer. So I accepted it. And this internet cafe, Etienne, was between two strip clubs. Wow. In in King's Cross, and I had, you know, I'd been a, a quiet suburban housewife for mm -hmm. many years, and so this was all new to me. It would be. And um, not only did I manage that business, so it was a twenty four seven business where we had I had staff that that worked in mm -hmm. this in this business. I also rented half of a. Um, it was called Eastern Suburbs Therapy Center. Right. So half of a therapy center where I did massaging. Okay. So I would work in the massage business from 10 a.m. in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. And then from 4 until 12 at night, I'd work in the uh, internet cafe business. Mm. So you only needed one person there at a time because everything was controlled from a central computer at front. So it managed sure. the calls, it managed the internet things, and it, it monitored the cost that was that, you know, that they had to pay when they came out. Yes. But I think it was during this time that the Lord took me to places I'd never been before. Mm. I witnessed things in that environment that was way 
out of my realm of understanding, if you like, you know, people mm. overdosing on drugs wow. on the street in front of the the cafe, mm. um, people coming in and selling stolen things, stolen goods to you, um, drug dealers coming in and asking you to hold their money for you and you're afraid to say no because you don't know what the consequences would, would be. be. Yes. Because if the police caught them, they would take all their money off them. Right. But there was also a ger- generosity side about them, if you could call that, mm. call it that, because at the end of the day, when they collected their money, they gave you 10% of what you held for them. Wow. And so it was a whole new a new world to me, if you like. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the strip clubs. We got to know the owners of the strip clubs. We got to know the bouncers at the front that monitored things on the street. Mm. Um, I was, But out of all of that, um, I also got involved with Wayside Chapel when I was there. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with Wayside Chapel, but it's a it's a not non not for profit organisation, mm. and um, they they had all these different s- sections, if you like, within this building. So they had a coffee shop, they okay. had a uh, transport business that took homeless people to places where they could find a bed for the night. Mm. They had a um, a shower operation where they got uh, people coming in there that were homeless could get a package and it had right. toothpaste and a comb and shampoo and all of that in there and they could go and have a shower and then mm. come out and then they had the the op shop where they could go in and pick clothes if they didn't have any money they could go and um, get clothes free of charge and um, they also had counselling sessions that they held there. So they had 12-step programs regarding sex addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction. Okay, wow. All those. They also had a, a, a lifeline service, if you like, mm. where you, where you uh, went on, on the phones and people could ring in and talk to you about their problems. Yeah. And then there was another um, another. Uh, provision that they made was where you went out as a team early in the morning at three o'clock and just walked the streets and had a look around for children that had run away from home Mm. or or that had been put out of their homes by their parents. And when you found them, you, you, you spoke to them and you asked them about what they were doing there and what their plans were. And if you identified that they were homeless, whether it was their their fault or their parents' fault, you you didn't have the responsibility of taking care of them. You couldn't do that. You had to ring someone at DOCS. Right. Are you familiar with DOCS? DOCS? Yes. Yeah. So then they would come down and they would then help them to find lodgings and mm. things like that. So that was another facet that... Um, came out of all of that in the time that you were there. That wow. I was there. Yeah, so, so I was there in, for, for for two years. And you got involved with with this with this group. And how yeah. were they funded? Was it a government supported program, or was it just funded by people who believed? I think it was partly the... government funded and mm. also um, sponsors that they had. Because there's obviously a great need for for that, especially around King's Cross. Oh, absolutely, you know. absolutely, mm. yes. So they have quite a few people that work there. It sounds like it's quite a, a well-established 
They do, and they're all, they're all volunteers. All Most vol- of them are, are volunteers, wow. yes. Okay. Yeah. So while you were in King's Cross, were you ever fearful for your life at any stage, or did you you felt that you were safe enough there? No, never. Hmm. Never. I, I don't know what it was, but I felt like I was at home. I was very comfortable in the area. Yeah. I was doing courses, counseling courses with Wayside Chapel, and my thesis I did on a, a lady that did tabletop dancing. Wow. You see, we became known to the people that were running these different in- institutions mm-hmm. along the road there. So wherever we went, they knew us, and we kind of built a rapport with them. Okay. And so we were never fearful when we went when we when we were there, mm. um, I guess there would have been plenty of security around as well, given the the nature of the the, the operations right. there and the businesses. That's right. We yeah. had a few incidents at the shop where we had to go and uh, meet with the the chap in charge at the police station, and he'd come and visit, and people would see him come visit, and ask, he, sometimes he'd just pop in to ask how things are going. Right, right, and. Um, we built up that rapport with, with everybody. I also got onto the Progress Association, so I I kind of learned about what was um, being done in that area and what was needed in the area. So it was sort of one a community, if you like, that I got involved mm-hmm. with there. I learned a lot of things yes. that are happening up there that I never would I never dreamed of. Right. I I went into strip clubs and mm. and spoke to the ladies that did the peep show mm. booths, if you like. Yeah. I did a thesis on a a tabletop dancer. Yeah, you were saying. Yeah. And she wasn't. Uh, she was at uni, and she earned more in the two nights that she danced than she would if she had worked a whole week. And that's how she was funding her. That she was education. funding her education. She wasn't into drugs. She wasn't into sex. She was just doing tabletop dancing. Mm. So I learned a lot. I also spoke to the owners. I spoke to the bouncers. Yeah. Um, and so I learned a lot about that environment, if mm, you like, because mm. this was all very, very new to yes. me. Yes. And you're saying you spent two years Two, two years, years there. there, yes. Wow. Yes. So what made the change? How did you leave that area and uh, I guess your involvement there with Wayside Chapel and your – Business well, and yeah, well, um, after two years, every man and his shop opened, a f- put in a few computers, and everybody was coming there to do the internet, mm. and they they undercut to a great degree. Right. So that started, and then after this flourished, and another one opened, like the one we had. Mm. Uh, my employer decided that he was going to close it down. Yeah. Um, it was very lucrative while it was um, working. Running, especially in the early stages. Yes, I mean, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, but then after that I went overseas for three months. Uh, I left that place and went overseas for three months. But, yeah, that's what, what happened, um, what brought that about, what took, you know, made me uh, leave that place, if you like. Sure, I understand. Or exit it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, you, you, you're obviously running your business from 10 till 4, and then you're working at night there. Um, 
with your uh, business, I think you were mentioning to me that you did all types of massage, like you even got into some of the Reiki and, and some of that. I don't know if maybe you can yes. elaborate on that a little bit if you if you don't mind. Yes, that was also another um, another area of my life. Um, the people at that that rendered the other half, you know, there was one that was a, a shaman. Do you know what a shaman? Sh- yes. Yes. Well, maybe you can explain if you want to, just for those who may not know what a shaman is. They do this, um, the Indian, the red Indian sort of practice with the cleansing. They use these, um, there's a special way that they do cleansing by burning um, these herbs. Mm. Um, They also uh, do spiritual healing. They believe in ancestry spirits. Yes. So... I practiced um, I practiced tarot card reading. I didn't do that on a big scale, but mm. I did read cards from time to time. So was that just a random thing that you do, or did you have to get some training? Or how? That was that was. Did just, you shuffle some cards? You put them on the table and say, "Well, you, this is what it's saying." You is had that? to understand what it said. Yes, right, sure. you had to okay. understand what it said. I also did chakra healing. Okay. And so, you know, in the physical body, Mm. um, there's seven centers, if you like, in the body. And so you you cleanse each center as you're working on someone. You also also did Reiki, where Mm. you you don't actually touch the person. You just clear the energy fields around the person. Mm. And then I also did crystal healing, where I would put certain crystals on certain areas of the body to cleanse it. And you know what? It worked. It really? There were some worked. people who were cured by, by this? Yes, they came away mm. feeling quite different from mm. there. Was it because you were given any special abilities with this, or was it because of their faith in the process that they were, or was it a bit of both? In hindsight, mm. I think psychologically, mm. if you feel that, it's work, that it works for you, it, it works for you. Yes. Look, I, I believe that 80% of health has got to do with the mind. Right. And, you know, if you think negatively and you are depressed and that, you're more inclined to be sick as well. That's right. That's and some right. people, they call them hypochondriacs, but they typically will get sick quite often. Yes. But if the mind gets healed, you know, the Bible says we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Um, I can see how their mind believing in something can also have, to a large extent, have a psychological benefit for people. But in, reg- right. in regards to this, did you have to go and get training for all this? How did I you, did, how did you I, learn I this? I did do that, yes. From I the did. shamans? Um, no, that the cleansing with the herbs is probably something that I read from. Uh, I learned from her. Okay. But I think I went and did a, a Reiki course. Mm. I went went and part of that was chakra healing and crystal healing. So mm. it was all part of that. Yes, I had to go and learn to do that. Right. And I remember my son. Now, my son had. Um, accepted the Lord into his life. The Holy Spirit convicted This was at the same him. time? No, he. Um, it was sort of a couple of years before that. Okay. Yes. Um, the Holy Spirit convicted him. He was convicted by the Holy Spirit a couple of years before that. And I remember him coming to me and saying to me, Mom, do you know what you're dealing with? Mm. And I said to him, what would you know? You've never done this. What would you know? How can it be wrong if it's working for people? 
right. if it's working for yes. people. I had no idea what I was dealing with. I think that realization came, Etienne, when I started a woman's yoga and meditation class. I used to do it twice a week. Okay. And so in the evening, we'd have all the mats done. And, you know, I prayed. I prayed to God. Mm. And so before they arrived, I'd pray to God that, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd bless this yoga and meditation night. And, and um, before they would come, um, the lights would flicker. And I, I think to myself, please don't tell me I'm going to have a... Uh, a blackout when I'm supposed to be having, a, you know, an evening session yes. tonight. And and just before the first person came, always the lights would go on. Even as they put their, their foot on the first rung of the stairs that led up to me, the lights would go on. But it would flicker, it would stay off, it would come on, it would flicker, it would stay off, it would come on. Now, this is, sorry, this was before I started praying, okay? This was before I started praying. Right. This would happen. Mm. And um, sometimes during the session, at the end of the session, someone would get up and they'd be very, very upset, extremely upset, as, as if some, something had been triggered within them. Mm. And they'd be really angry and they wouldn't even say goodnight to me, they would just storm out. And this has happened on occasion. Others were willing to lie on the mat and say that they had pain here or there or elsewhere and talk about their feelings. Yes. Um, but I remember saying to the shaman lady that this keeps happening when I'm doing the classes. Mm. And then she said, aren't you covering yourself? And I'm like, what do you mean covering myself? And she said, aren't you praying? For a covering? And I'm like, no. And she said, well, I'll type out a prayer for you and for everybody else that's there. So she gave us this prayer mm. on slips of paper. And so then we started praying this prayer, and the lights stopped flickering. Wow. So there was a few experiences mm, um, mm. that I had there with that. But, you know, it just seemed a normal way of life. It was just what I was doing was normal. Everybody else was doing sure. it. And it was normal and people were being healed by it. Mm. You know, so you obviously thought I also did the normal massage. I sure. did I did uh, sports massage mm. and I did um, uh, remedial massage yes. and uh, different types of massage. De depending on the needs of the client, mm. I would sometimes mm. combine the different Techniques to 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 bring about sure. uh, the 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 uh, the healing that was necessary for the mm. person. Yeah. So when you get into that massage, quite often they say you've got to open yourself to be a conduit or a I guess a channel for chi for energy to flow through. That's right. And then you channel it through your hands typically, and heal. So that you you went through a process to become a a, a channel, I guess. Yes. Yes. And and be. Be, uh, in between massages, if if I had time enough in between massages, I would actually sit on my mat and just meditate um, in the lotus position. Mm. And I would meditate and I would be renewed in energy for the next person when they came. 
Is that right? Yes. So do you remember the first time you – did you ever feel energy come into you at all at any stage? Or, oh, it happened all the time. Oh, you could feel it, it physically feel it? Physically feel it, yeah. Wow. I mean, I went to a retreat for 10 days where you never spoke. Mm. You get up in the morning, at your, your meditation started at 4.30 in the morning and you finished at 9, 9 9.30 at night. And you never spoke to anybody for 10 days. Wow. If you had a problem – you would speak to the person that was facilitating your group, which sat in front of the group. Yes. But other than that, you never spoke to anyone um, for that 10 days. And it was amazing because I could do another 10 days after I finished that 10 days without speaking to anybody. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was – but, the, but the, the funny thing is, though, when I was doing that meditation, I'd be praying to God in my mind – I mean the God creator, the, the God that the, I that that I knew, the God creator, the God, God that you were introduced to in the Catholic Church. Yes, or, yeah? that okay. God, yes. that God. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I would pray to Him while I was meditating. Mm. So, I'm not quite sure, and this is funny, Etienne, because mm. when I came, when I was convicted to come back to church, mm. and I remember going to. Uh, the pastor there and saying that I'd like to be baptized. He's, he asked me these questions. I got really angry with him because he said to me, who is this God you're praying to? Right. And I'm like, what do you mean who's this God I'm praying? There's only one God. Heaven's mm. alive. One God. God, God, you know. Yes, yes. I remember getting really angry with him. And then he said to me, do you have a relationship with this God? And I'm thinking, hello. Mm. To me, a relationship was an intimacy. And if God's in heaven and I'm down here, how can I have a relationship work? with this yes, God? Yes. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I got really angry with him. And then he realized what was happening. And then he said to me, look, if it's okay with you, I'd like to do some Bible studies before you get baptized. Right. Okay. And I said, okay. Mm. And that was it. So who this God is I was praying to, Etienne, back then? Heaven only knows. Mm. I thought it was the God that I knew. Yes. But wow. it may not have been. So how did you get out of that, that uh, spiritual spirit or spiritism, spiritism practices? Right. And then get to the point where you now want to get baptized. What, what happened? What brought you out of that? Okay. So the, oh, this was in Sydney. I was yes. living in Elizabeth Bay at the time. And... Um, I was. I knew that I had to somehow knew that I needed to get out of that environment that I was in down there. Hmm. So I came up to the Central Coast, and I was. I, I remember driving around for five hours trying to find a place that I thought would be ideal for me, right. which I did eventually. Mm-hmm. And then it was during this time that um, my sister came from. Um, uh, Thailand, she taught English over there and she came okay. on holiday over here and mm. she said to me, do you know where the AA meetings are? Mm. I, I got a shock because I didn't think my family was alcoholics. Right, okay. <laughs> so I said, look, I don't know where they are, but I can I can go on the internet and find it for you. Mm. So I found it for her and then she said to me, would you come with me? And I said, no. Yeah. Because I'm not like that, people. I I don't have a drinking problem. I haven't mm. lost my home. I haven't lost my job. Yes. I haven't lost my children. 
or my car. Mm. And she said, no, 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 no. I just want you to come as support for me. Okay. And I thought, okay, I can do that. I can come as a support person for you because you obviously need it. That's why you're going there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went with her to these meetings. Mm. And then it was during this meeting. And they would say to me, would you like to share? And she said, no, no, no. She's just here to support me. Okay. And so they say, okay, and leave it at that. And then mm. one day, Etienne, you could have taken a feather and knocked me off the chair because oh, somebody really? got up and told my story. <gasps> I got such a shock. So someone was giving their own personal experience with alcohol and everything, and it was like someone was telling your exact story. That's exactly right. Wow. Exactly right. So I realized then that I needed to come to AA. So I went to a group called Living Sober. Okay. You see, at our house, my dad was at sea mm. most of his life, most of my life. And while he was at sea, while he was away at sea, there'd be a struggle with my mom trying to keep it together financially. Yes. But when he came home from sea, apparently got the bulk of the money that was kept in trust for him. So there was partying at our place for the time that he was home. And then when he'd go back, same thing would happen. Mum would struggle financially again. Right. So we related partying with alcohol. Okay. so Good times. Good times. Alcohol. Right. Understand. And so I thought we were just good time party girls, mm, mm. not realizing the influence that it had on our lives. Yeah. And so then I started going to AA. Mm. And I had tried many times to stop drinking. Yes. I've never liked the taste of it. And I, I don't care what anybody says, but it's an acquired taste. You have a sip of wine or spirits or anything the first time, you just want to vomit. It's so vile tasting. Mm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's like I call it medicine. Yeah, that's yeah. a good description for it. So I, I've never ever liked the taste of it, but I did like the feeling or, or what mm. it allowed me to do in that state because being this this sister that was five years younger and five years older and being in the middle and a bit of a loner, I realized that I was a shy person. Okay. And so with the alcohol, it allowed me to just talk freely to anybody. Yeah, so some of those inhibitions and shyness would disappear. Absolutely. Right. And I loved dancing, so I danced mm. the night away because I didn't need a partner to dance. So I would just dance for myself because it was okay to do it. But you wouldn't get me on there. I'd have four left legs if I was on there sober. Right. Do you know? Yeah. And so I realized that I needed to go there. So I went there. Mm. And I was just amazed at this God that had taken this desire away for the drink. You lost your desire for the drink. I did. Now, before that, although you say you weren't really aware of, of, of you know, having a challenge with alcohol, but could you go without alcohol for sustained periods of time or just never crossed your radar that you needed to do that? And No, I could. could. I could even go without alcohol for three weeks at a time. Okay. But it's what, what they call a binge drinker. Right. So when you do drink. So when it, I drink, I drink enough. Right. I drink enough. Mm. So then I found this God, because it's a God-based program, mm, mm. that took the desire away for the drink. Incredible. But not only for the drink, for the dancing and the parting as well. 
Mm. And I was so amazed at this God, and I wanted to get to know him better. Yeah. And so I wanted to go back to church. But my okay. son at that stage had been praying for me for eight years. Eight years. Eight years, because he had, he had joined a faith. Mm. And when he joined, his father and I thought that he was in a cult because of the dramatic change that had happened in his life. Is that right? Yes. Um, from this party boy um, to this carnivorous human being mm. to a vegan. He became a vegan. He became a vegan. They were like blew our minds. Yeah, that you know, says we, a lot for somebody coming from South Africa, you know, because that's we, right. we like the meat over there, don't we? <laughs> the burrivores and yes, all of that. that's right. Yes. Yeah. So when this happened to him, we, were, we used to go occasionally to the church that he belonged to just to make sure that he was okay. Okay. And so he'd been praying for me for eight years up to mm. this stage. And then I wanted to go back to church. And because the church that he belonged to went and worshipped on Saturday, mm. I went to the library to find out why some worshipped on Saturday and some on Sunday because we okay. used to be Sunday worshippers. Yes, yes, of course. And then I did a study on the Sabbath and, mm. and found out where it changed, when it changed and all of that. And based on that, I Googled the Sabbath-keeping church. Now, if, if a Pentecostal Sabbath-keeping church had come up near me, that's where I would be today. If it was right. a Baptist Seventh-day church, that's where I would be Understand. today. Right. But Seventh-day Adventists came up in Woiwoi, in which was near to where I lived. Mm. And so I went there. But what an experience. Yeah. There was this party girl, and she'd come to church on a Sabbath, and these people were all soft-spoken, loving, kind, considerate. And I just thought, man, I don't belong here. This, really? this is not right. This is not the right place for me. So I'd go away, and then I'd come back, and then I'd go away, and I'd come back. I'd stay away for two or three weeks, and I'd come back again. So what brought kept them bringing you back? I think the Holy Spirit knew you had a conviction you wanted something better. Yes, and you know. Etienne, but you didn't feel like you fit in at the time when you were there. No, but you know. But the people were nice. Yes. Right. But we serve a gentle God, mm. and He's gentle with us, and yes. He never forces us. Mm. And He lets us go, and He brings us back, and He lets us go, and He brings us back, and that's what He did with me. And uh, I remember one night during this this indecision time or period. I prayed one night and I said, Lord, what is it that you want from me? And I had a dream that night. And in the dream, I remember this building having all these rooms. Mm. And he said to me that I was to choose a room to go into. But when I choose the room, I was make absolutely sure that that's the room that I want to go into. Now, Etienne, I had a big thing with trust with people. Mm. I was also, because I come from a big family, everything you wanted and needed, you had to work for. Right. So I was self-sufficient, self in, or independent. Um, it was just self, 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 because self had to go out and create and do and acquire yes. everything that you wanted. Mm. And, uh, and I had, in relationships, I'd had a big problem with trust. And so I trusted no one but myself. I can understand that, yeah. So I had this dream, and I, and I remember saying to God, and I don't know where this comes from. He hasn't revealed it to me yet, but I remember saying to him, 
I do not like pain. Please don't give me pain because mm. now I'm going into a room and I don't know what to expect. Right. And he said, if you trust me, I'll make sure that you don't get any pain. Mm. So I went into the room and I closed the door and this water started to rise. And when it got to my knees, I started to panic. Yes. And again, the presence of the Lord said, if you trust me, I'll take care of you. Mm. And so I settled down. This peace came upon me. And then when the water got to my shoulders, I, I then imagined what it would be like to drown. Mm. And this, this, all these emotions started coming upon me. Yes. And again, this voice reassured me, if you trust me, I will take care of you. And so I trusted him. The water went over my head. Nothing happened. I then found myself in a warehouse, a massive, massive warehouse. Mm. And the warehouse had big bales in there, but it had no ceiling on it because I could see the sky, the blue sky and the white clouds. I woke up from this dream. I always sleep with a pen and paper next to my bed. And I wrote down this dream and then went back to sleep. So the next morning I woke up and the first thing that came to mind was what was my on on my agenda? Because I was in the corporate field at that time. Mm. And um, I was wondering what was on my agenda for the for that day. And um, and then this little voice said, you had a dream last night. And so I picked up my pen and paper and I looked at it. And what it said to me was that if I trusted God, my storehouse has no ceiling on it. Wow. I don't have to worry about that. Hmm. And then I was, um, I was getting to the age of 60, and I was convicted to give up my corporate job. No, hmm. before, that, before that happened... I was convicted to take a 12-month sabbatical because I was so busy working, yes. uh, Etienne, even though I was in the church. I was uh, working, in, you know, I traveled uh, 15 hours a week to get to work and back. Mm. I, I have seven gorgeous grandchildren that I wanted to spend time with. I had a part-time massage business at home. I was working in the church, and I was just so busy that I couldn't, couldn't spend the time that God that I needed to to get to know God sure. better. So I was convinced to take a 12-month sabbatical, which mm. I did. And I traveled around Australia, just me and the Lord and the Bible and and Spirit of Prophecies books. That's all I did. Wow. Never went out, never partied, nothing. Just me and the Lord. That would have been a wonderful 12 months from it a spiritual perspective. It was a 12, beautiful 12 months. Mm. And, you know, I felt like the Israelites because I never had a puncture. I never filled up with water or oil in the 12 months that I was gone. Nothing wore out mm. during that 12 months. And he, he took care of me, even in, in, in radical situations. He took care of me yes. and brought me home safely. And when I got back, I realized that I was again convicted that I needed to give up my corporate job. Now, Etienne, I was on a really good salary. I was, mm. I was executive assistant to the general manager and the financial director. And um, I just wondered how I was going to do that. But I just had to go back to my dream and know that the Lord was going to take care of that. And, and he's been so faithful. Wow. So, so you almost sourced... to a fifth of what I earned. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
But the Lord said he will provide. He said. Yeah. And he said, my storehouse doesn't have a ceiling in it. His storehouse doesn't have a ceiling. That's right. And you're a child of the king, so that for means your storehouse Absolutely. doesn't have a ceiling. Absolutely. Wow. So that's some of the symbolism that came out of your dream. Did yes. you ever sort of contemplate what the water represented and the water coming up over your head? And yes, that's when I went back to the church and said to the pastor, and I thought he's going to tell me like they do in the Catholic church, so when is it convenient for you to be baptized? Um, but he said, um, who is this God that you pray to? And do you have a relationship with this God? And I thought, what is this man? What on earth is this man talking about? Okay. And then he said to me um, that he'd like to do some Bible studies mm-hmm. with me. But the dream showed you that you should go and get baptized. Baptized, fully immersion. Full immersion. Not sprinkled, not baby baptism. Full full immersion. Right. And if I trusted him, that storehouse doesn't have a ceiling because I was so self-sufficient within myself. Oh, I thought it was I, but it was God still taking care of me throughout my life. So this yeah. sabbatical you took was actually a way of showing your faith that God will take care of you, and you've never trusted anybody like that previously. That, that's right. That, oh. And that was big for me. That was huge for me. That would be very big. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So you do Bible studies. Uh, you, I guess you even bapt- study the baptism and what biblical baptism is about and Jesus as our example. Yes. So your, your dream is then confirmed by the Word of God as well. That's and, right. And then you get baptized and yeah. at Woi Woi? Yes, at Woi Woi Church. I don't know if you uh, ever met uh, Pastor Da Costa. He's passed on now. No, I haven't. Not I yet. look forward to seeing him one day. What a wonderful man of God. Oh, really? Yeah. And, you know, between my son praying for me for eight years mm. and Pastor Da Costa's giving two years of his life once a week to spend time with me and his wife, uh, you know, having that ability to allow husband as well to do that with mm, me. Mm. It's been such a blessing in my life that I really feel that there's never wasted time on anybody nowadays. Mm. There's never wasted time on anybody nowadays. Wow. So you sort of your experience with them and, and, and you know, how God used them in your life, now you can see yourself being used in other people's absolutely, lives. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Wow. And they don't always come to the Lord when you think they should, mm. but it's never wasted time. Well, I think of that from the perspective of your son praying for you for eight years. I know. Before I he know. saw anything. I know. And you thought he was a little bit weird because he'd left his meat. He's now vegan. He goes to a church. <laughs> and so a lot of things changed in his life. Was that a yeah. sort of a witness to you that there must be something else out there? That, did it make sense to you at the time when you saw the change in your no. son's life? No. It I'm... wasn't because of him that I went back to church. Mm. It was the God that changed me in AA. Yes. That convicted me to go back to church it was never what he did because I still, as I said, if it was a Baptist Seventh Day, yes. that's where I would be today. So you believe it's God's leading to? Oh, absolutely, to, without a shadow of a doubt. Yes. Wow. And so everything that he knew mm. and told us about, I relearned hastily to reinvent the wheel. But it, it's an experience yeah, you, that you have to have with course, the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? Mm. And uh, and I haven't looked back. So it's amazing. So you just to find out about Saturday or Sunday, you go to the uh, you go to the library, and you do your own research. Yes. And that's we become convinced that okay, it's got to be Saturday. That's right. That's right. Yes. That's incredible. 
Well, can you maybe just in the last few moments that we have, um, is there any message or any thoughts that you can share with other people who might be finding themselves maybe in the spiritual or spiritualistic practices? Um, maybe they're praying to a God as well, you know, because the shaman was giving you prayers of to course. pray to someone. Of course. Um, is there anything that in your experience that you can perhaps share with them just to, to show them the alternative of what you've discovered now? Because you've obviously lived both lives. Yes. And if you thought the other life was superior, you would still be in that life. Yes. So you found something better. Maybe you can just elaborate on that a little bit for us if you don't mind. Okay. All my life I've been searching. Mm. And I didn't know what it was that I was searching. And when I found God, and it's not that I found God, but God that found me. Right. But I was willing to, um, to succumb if mm. you like, to him at this point in time, that that I do believe that we're all born with a God vacuum because God has made us for him, yes, for his purpose and for his joy. And so unless we have God in our life, we will always go around trying to fill this vacuum in our lives. Mm. You know, um, I bought and sold about four properties, and every time I finished selling a property, I thought that I'd be happy. Right, yes. Um, but it never, ever happened until I met God in the way that I've met God now, that I have a relationship with him, that that God vacuum is filled. I don't feel the need to have anything else in my life. He's, he's filled everything, well, everything in my life. Wow. And I have to say this. There's a lot of things that I haven't spoken about um, today on this radio that I've done. There's nothing in your life that you, have, that you would have done mm. that God cannot forgive. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. There's no shame that he cannot cover with his righteous robe. Mm. So don't think that because you've done all these shameful and, 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 and hurtful things in your life that God cannot redeem you. He mm, can. Mm. He's already done that when you went to the cross for us. Yes, yes. As my sister says, Carrie, she calls me Carrie, Carrie, if God can change you, God can change anybody. Mm. And to me, it's such an amazing witness. Yes. Um, to be able to hear someone say that to me. So don't be afraid to trust him when you are so afraid to trust people because you've been hurt and knocked down that many times because he's a God that is faithful. He's a God that you can trust. Mm. He's a God that is gentle. Amen. I have to stress that. He's so gentle. Mm. And he will lead you according to the way that he knows is good for you and your well-being. Works with you and your That's relationship. Right. Yeah, That's with right. Him and, yeah. So don't be afraid to come to him and just surrender yourself to him. Mm. Because you, I promise you that the change that will happen in you will be amazing. Mm. And you will be amazed because we serve an amazing God. We do. 
And so, yes, if you if you if you're hesitant because of hurt and pain and um, things that have happened to you in your life, come and give it to him. He says, you know, give me your burdens. Mm. I, I want those burdens. Don't carry that heavy load anymore. I want to take it from you. Yes. Be- and then I want to give you my yoke, which is so light and joyful. So come and mm. do that for, with him. And you will be amazed as I've been amazed. Mm. Thank you, Carol. That's a wonderful testimony. And I agree with you. We all have a little gap somewhere, a vacuum that we just try to fill and we just struggle to fill and we never fill it. And you thought you'll have fulfillment when you sell a property and it just didn't happen for you. My experience has been the same. And it reminds me of that text there in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7 where it talks about Jesus as the desire of nations. The thing is that we've got to just invite him and accept him. That's right. And uh, talk to God just where you are right now. If you um, you have uh, a desire for something different, if you through your own experience have now found out that there's something empty, something vacant in your life that just cannot be filled, that longing and that desire in your heart, recognize it as the call for Jesus, who is the desire of nations and the desire for all people. Thank you for sharing your testimony, telling us how gentle God is. That text there in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. That's right. That's mm. right. So I praise God for your testimony. I pray that uh, those who have listened to it will be touched by it, drawn by it. And uh, people who've gone through similar experiences may also see that there's something better out there for them. If you have enjoyed this, uh, this testimony today and you'd like more information or if you have any questions, please feel free to contact us at 3ABN Australia Radio. In Australia, you can ring us on 02-4973-3456 or you can email us at radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au or you can even like us on the Facebook page and even send us a message there if you like. So please join me next time as we share more of what God has done in the lives of ordinary people like you and like me. Until then. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.